Welcome back to the R-Rated Podcast. The R-Rated Podcast. This week's guest is... Welcome back to the R-Rated Podcast. Today's guest is Nick Morgan, and he is a recovery advocate. Um, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So Nick and I actually met um, through a rehab center. I talked about it a little bit on the podcast before. Um, we're actually making a documentary together, but before we get into all of that, I want to backtrack and ask you where you're from, and before moving to LA, was it always the goal to be a recovery advocate? Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, definitely had no, no intention on being a recovery advocate like when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and definitely didn't plan on being in any of the situations that I was like coming up, you know, as a kid, and uh, I think when I was like like a kid, I wanted to be like a Navy SEAL, you know, my dad always like pushed me to, you know, be in the military and, yeah. um, or be a doctor. Cause my dad was a doctor and I just really had no interest in any of that stuff. Um, so, you know, fast forward, I ended up having some struggles with drugs and alcohol, you know, as a kid and, uh, you know, got into some pretty dark places and, um, you know, fast forward a little bit more, went through like five rehabs, ended up um, going from Southern Illinois, which is where I'm originally from and where I got in trouble and did all the, the craziness, um, you know, went from there down to rehab in South Florida and was in and out of rehabs for about a year or so and, uh, ended up getting clean finally in South Florida and, um, you know, found that in time, you know, after working out at Little Caesars and working at a hot dog place and kind of having those humbling jobs in the beginning, um, I was, a ended up being a, a sober living manager. So like a halfway house manager. And when I got that position, that's really where I saw that, like, I enjoyed like keeping guys accountable and, and just being involved in, in helping people and, um, uh, making sure the guys are home for curfew and they're doing drug tests and breathalyzers and, you know, just being able to set a good example for the other guys in the house. I saw that, like, that's really what I enjoyed. And, uh, that was truly my passion. So, uh, fast forward a little bit more. I, when I had about nine months sober, I started as a behavioral health technician uh, for an outpatient center and, you know, started doing some stuff online and, and talking about my recovery and, you know, being super open about it. And uh, I tended to, uh, you know, really touch people back from where I was from, you know, because I'm from like a small town in a sense and people don't necessarily like leave there and they don't a lot of people don't necessarily like, I guess, like go like crazy places like South Florida or LA. And like, it's just not necessarily like a trendy thing from right. like right. where I'm from. Uh, how long did it take you to realize like, this is the path that I want to take. Like I want to help other people. Like I'd say like when I had about a year and a half, right? Like a year and a half sober, I posted a video on Facebook mm-hmm. and it was like a 25 minute video back back when people actually like watched of, like of full what, like videos. Just yeah, just sitting on my bed. Okay. The first video I ever did. I was okay. sitting on my bed yeah. in my first apartment that I got out of my sober living. Mm-hmm. And I just, I shared my story. I just got super vulnerable and I was just, here's my story. You You're know like what I mean? Podcasting before, before podcasting. Yeah, no, like, no, for real. It, it was, you know, like it's coming up on like probably se- seven years ago I did this. Wow. And, uh, I just put this video out and next thing you know, I have like all these people like reaching out to me and like I'm hopping on the phone with them and just having great conversation and, you know, making suggestions on different rehab centers and 
um, you know, just being in in the pits in a sense where those people are struggling. Yeah. And being there like day one, right? Like when they're just like deciding to go to treatment and families having issues and everybody's like, yeah. I, I enjoyed like coming into that and like being in the trenches with people that were struggling and, and being able to help them to get to like a safe space. Do you feel like you have to yourself maybe have experienced that, like being an addict to help others? Or do you think it's okay, like others that haven't gone through that process can help just as much? I, I, I like, I, I, that's a really good question. And, I, and I'm glad that you asked that because I think that's like something that people have in their head that like, oh, if you haven't used drugs, like you can't relate, yeah. right? Which drug addiction, don't get me wrong. Like it's its own battle and mm -hmm. it's different from other ones, but drugs are just a symptom. You know what I mean? Like drugs are just a symptom. People use other outlets. Um, and it's not necessarily always something that could kill you, but right. something that you obsess over, something that whether that be, you know, excessive, some girls, excessive shopping, um, some people isolate, some people get depressed and do different things. And it's not necessarily always drugs. So I don't think that it, it's it's necessarily like qualifies you to be able to understand but it's definitely drug addicts, you know, helping other drug addicts is something truly special. You know, it's just a different type of connection. And, um, you know, our ears are open to somebody that, you know, can say like, hey, I've been exactly where you're at, you yeah. know? Yeah. What was your upbringing like? I feel like there's a stereotype with recovering addicts or even addicts that, oh, you did drugs because you didn't have a great upbringing or this and this happened to you or maybe you were abused like is that a stereotype or do you think that is true um i think that it, it's i can speak for myself right like mm -hmm. i came from a great family you're asking great questions by the way these are all like amazing ones well like, no this is i want to like truly know yeah no I, I feel like we need to understand addiction more than just like oh like he he did this and he relapsed and like he he had a, a bad upbringing or he had a great upbringing upbringing he just like you know hurt himself and got injured and then the doctor gave him this right. like, it's so much deeper than that so that's what I'm trying to like I want to figure that out you know absolutely and uh, I I don't think that you know definitely it it can play a part right your upbringing your childhood like who your parents were were your parents doing drugs on the kitchen table when you were growing up yeah. or you know did you watch your mom beat your or your dad beat your mom your mom beat your dad like people have been through different like traumatic things growing up but for me right like i didn't experience those things right like i didn't experience like violence in my home um my parents got divorced when i was in like third grade you know because yeah. dad was cheating on mom and yeah. um you know i definitely went through some traumatic things but drugs and alcohol was never really like in my in my household like that okay. you know uh my mom's never been a drinker my dad drank on like holidays um of course i used to steal that alcohol out of his liquor cabinet but you know, it was never like that. You know, growing up, I had a good childhood. Dad's a, you know, my dad's a doctor. My mom's an RN. Been, yeah. you know, they're both in the medical field. And, you know, I had everything I needed as a kid. Good, good, good vacations. We had, you know, like amazing holidays, stuff like that. Dad wasn't always there necessarily because he was, you know, always working or whatever. But I can speak for myself that, like, I didn't experience that growing up. And I still found myself, you know, in the pits of addiction doing drugs and alcohol, but again, like battling with depression and anxiety and, and things that happen to us that we don't even realize are traumatic things. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be a drug addict, right? Like right. we all experience like things that are traumatic, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, fear of an, uh, abandonment, you know, failed jobs, you know, um, failed relationships, like everybody goes through things and they just battle with it differently. But like, if it wasn't around you and your family life, 
was it introduced to you in high school or in college or was it something that you just decided one day like i want to try it were you just curious well i i think and i always like to explain it like this like i found comfort in the chaos as a kid Okay. Right. Like if, if someone was doing something wrong, like I wanted really to be over exciting. there. Yeah. Like I yeah. wanted to be over there doing something wrong too. Right. Like I, away. no. Okay. And you know, in the beginning, like drugs and alcohol, it, it was just like a thing, right? Yeah. You know, you're 12 years old, you start smoking weed mm-hmm. and you're hanging around other people when you're 12 years old and they're smoking weed, they're most likely doing other stuff too. Right. Yeah. It's not a medicinal thing at that point. Yeah. So, you know, they had, you know, people were drinking alcohol and like, I wanted to have a good time. Mm-hmm. I felt that I could truly just be myself whenever I was on drugs and alcohol. And, you know, at a young age, like, that's never, that's never good, you know? Um, yeah. And what I d- is, like, when you say I was truly myself, like, what, like, what is, who is, who is that part? Like, what is that part? That, <laughs> and it, it wasn't truly who I was, right? right. <laughs> okay, like, who did you think it was? Yeah. Like, was it making you more social? Like, yeah, no, I can't. Like, like, vibing with, like, were you talking to girls more? Like, exactly. what made you feel like, this, like, this is the, the nigga I want to be, or, like, you thought you wanted to be at that point? When you break it down, like, years later, right, after yeah. sobriety, and you look back, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not necessarily, like, truly be yourself, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no care. You know what I mean? Like there's in the things that you say, the people that you're around, the way you operate, yeah. talking to girls, you know what I mean? Like, you know, just certain situations where like you just felt okay, right? Mm-hmm. Not dealing with like the natural feelings of what people just feel, right. you know? And uh it was supposed to be fun, right? Like mm-hmm. a good time. Everybody's fu- you know, it's just alcohol, right? Yeah. And that's where it started for me. It's just alcohol that like, you can buy it at the store. There's nothing wrong with it. Even my my dad didn't even look at it like a big deal, right. you know? And it, it was a good time. Don't I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that every ounce of my addiction was absolutely terrible because right. like that's not the truth. Like in the beginning, like I had yeah. a blast. I traveled this country. I went to yeah. you know concerts and yeah. saw the country and went to music festivals and met great people and had a blast until like it wasn't a blast anymore. You know until like you get back and you don't have money for alcohol anymore or you don't have a job or you start taking, you know, opiates and all of a sudden, like, you don't have an opiate. Like, yeah. it's not fun anymore, right. you know? I was going to say, when did you know that it had gotten too far? Like, when did you realize, like, oh, this isn't just fun and partying and music festivals anymore. This is, I'm addicted now. So, I, I went through a phase of, like, traveling the country, going to music festivals and... Um, but to be fair, every, like, I can sit here and be like, I went to music, I went to... Like, we all did that. Like, yeah. you know, and the thing is, like... I can walk away from that and be like, I'm not an addict. Like, I'm not addicted. But a lot, a lot of people can. Like, my cousin was one of those people. And, like, I feel like a lot of people are okay to party with you when you're fun and, like, you know, at a concert having a, like, you're the life of the party. But as soon as you have an addiction after, nobody fucks with you. Yeah, no, exactly. And I saw that firsthand with my cousin. So, to me, it leaves such a bad taste in my mouth when I, I like, I'm like, oh, you're cool, like, doing it doing it with them. But as soon as they had an addiction and couldn't walk away, they're a bad person. Yeah. They're below you now. They're, they're a drug addict, you know, you know, people, people don't realize it until shit gets bad, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then when shit gets bad, that's where you look up and you see who's really standing behind you, Right. you know, like all of a sudden, like you're not cool anymore. Right. And, and, and that's what it is. It really is, man. And it's like, when you're that young and like, you're doing stuff like that, um, you know, a lot of people are, are taught like drugs are bad. And, you know, like drug addicts, you stay away from drug addicts, you know, like God forbid you ask them like how you can help them. But, uh, you know, like it's just this 
this uh, perception of what people have of people that can't handle it. You yeah. know, like I know plenty, I have plenty of friends that could go out tonight, right? Yeah. And have a couple drinks, have a good time, not drive their car, right. you know, and like just it's go home. Right? Yeah. It's and that's dangerous. just, that's just not how it works for like people like me or drug addicts, right? Like I can have every intention on having two drinks, mm-hmm. right? And I have two drinks. And then I drink the entire bar Mm -hmm. and then I smoke crack and fight people outside. You know what I mean? Like that's just point blank period, like how it goes for me with alcohol. And it's just, that's how it is. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? It doesn't make me less of a person. It doesn't make me a fucking alien. (laughs) Um, But it's just, it's just not, it doesn't work for me. You know, people should have respect. Like exactly work. Like, cause I feel like you, you do know your limits with things. So it's not like that. You don't know your limits. Like, Oh, like, I have one drink and now I drink the whole bottle. It's is it just something that you're like fuck it? It's like that I don't care personality comes back in like fuck it. I have one one or two drinks. Like why don't I just you know finish this whole bottle and then it escalates more? Like how does that work? Exactly. I mean, it, it's like you can put it in perspective with people in their phones, right? Mm, like yeah. tell someone to sit their phone down in front of them and not pick it up for a whole entire hour. You know what I mean? Like, tell them not to not to pick that up, right? right. And how many times in their brain, Are you tempted to in that hour, yeah. does their brain go, oh, you need to pick up your phone. Right. You got to check your Instagram. Right. You got to check right. your TikTok. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like that, right? Where it's in front of you, right? And the first one, it, after the first one, the rest is history. One is too many and a thousand's never enough, yeah. right? So when you pick up that phone mm-hmm. and you start scrolling on Instagram, you're not going to stop at Instagram. Right. You're going to go over to your TikTok. You're right. going to check your TikTok. You're going to go over to your Facebook. Right. And all of a sudden you're going to forget that you just had to be somewhere, right. you know? Like it's the same, same concept, but just with the drugs and alcohol will kill you, you know? And, and we don't process that part, right? I guarantee you that if you told kids, mm-hmm. right, that, not not to say this is true. I'm just saying yeah. it's just like a concept of like, if you guys go back on TikTok, there's some kids out there that yeah. if you told them, you go back on TikTok, you're going to die in three days. Okay? Wow. Yeah. How many kids do you think would pick their phone up and get back on TikTok? They would get back on TikTok. They would, they'd be like, yeah, it's not true. Every, there would be so many people that would just yeah. be wiped out. Yeah. Right? And this is what we're dealing with with fentanyl. Yeah. Right? That like... After the first one, like, you don't have any more control. Like, you lose control after that. And um, it, it's the same concept with, like, people in, in in candy or waking up in the middle of the night and, and, and eating food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just we so happen to, like, find one that could destroy us and kill us. Um, so, how did, so how did you know? Like, okay, this is too much. This is too far. Like, I'm not partying anymore. Like, what, 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 what moment? Like, what happened? So... I was, I had just got back from being on tour with Further, which was like, what's, what's left of the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I was like this hippie kid on tour. Like, you know, I thought all these hippie yeah. guys that were selling Molly and mushrooms and acid with me were just my brothers and we were going <laughs> to live the rest of our life going to these festivals and just selling drugs. Right. So we get back from that right. and I start working out at Little Caesars again and, uh, somebody gave me a, a, uh, a Vicodin, and I don't, like, like take yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. like I, I'm at work. Here, here's a yeah. Vicodin, right? So he gives me a Vicodin, and I felt like I had met God, right? Like I felt like, damn man, like I'm I'm at work. I'm like, yeah. oh, I want to be at work now. You know what I mean? Like I want to, yeah, I want to cut these pizzas. I want to clean this place. Like, right. and I'm taking these Vicodins, and next thing oh, you know, so I 
Like yeah. it wasn't. So yeah, it started yeah. with one day. Yeah. And then it's one five hundred milligram Vicodin, and then it's the next day. You know, yeah. maybe another five hundred. Then the next day's a thousand, and then right. one's too many, and a thousand's never enough. I got an assistant manager position at, at Little Caesars <laughs> because I was just like always there, like on point. You right, know what I mean? Right. Just crushing this stuff. Right. And then it came to a day to where like I didn't have the money to like get another pill, right? Yeah. And then like I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to take a shower. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to clean my house. Didn't want to cut no pizzas. Yeah. And that's kind of like what put it in perspective for me. It went from Vicodins to Percocets to morphines to mm-hmm. it just progressed. And the days that I didn't have them, I was the most miserable person in the world. Is Vicodin usually, is that considered like an upper or a downer? Like uh, for, for me, right? Like yeah. for me, right? Opiates, um, when you you're not, I guess overdosing yourself in the sense like you're not slump, which that's where it gets to. It gave me energy, right? right. Percocets, Vicodins, right. things like that gave me energy until right. you take too many and then you're, you're and there's no, yeah, your heart slows down, you're slumped. It's not, it's not like energetic. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just how it was for me, right? Yeah. And, and everybody's different. Some people just don't know. They just try to get slumped. That's what they want. They don't want to right. feel. They're, they're right. cool with dying. And, like, I did get to a point, like, where I was okay with dying at a couple points in my life as well. Um, but for me, like, in the beginning, I was all happy, giddy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, you get to a point to where you start doing heroin, and it's not necessarily happy, giddy. How long after Vicodin did you do heroin? Like, what was the gap? So, uh, my best friend um, ended up passing away. Uh, July 4th of 2014 and after he, he passed away from an overdose and he overdosed on heroin and after I lost my best friend like that's really where you know I didn't care anymore mm-hmm. and like I accepted like I was a drug addict and I was gonna die a drug addict and I didn't know how to deal with my feelings and I hadn't done heroin yet yeah. and after my best friend passed away like I started doing heroin and a lot of people don't understand that right they're like dude you, you just lost your best friend like why would you why would you go and do heroin like the drug that killed you yeah like why would you why go do that you, why that, that didn't scare you no i <laughs> i didn't care you know what yeah. i mean like i didn't yeah. care and like i was okay with being exactly where he was at mm-hmm. you know like i got to a point in my life where like i was okay with dying and i had accepted i was gonna die like i'd be driving my i had like a 1993 like ford ranger that i yeah. paid like 500 bucks for it Every time I'd be driving, like, the truck, like, I'd always be, like, looking over at the right and, like, checking out the trees, mm-hmm. you know? Just, like, if I if I just, just, if I just turn it, like, yeah. I could just end all this right now. And that was, like, a constant, like, thought that always went through my head every time I was in my car, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I was just okay with that. And that's a scary place that to freaking is, be, yeah. you know? Like, at, at 21 years old, 20, 21 years old, like, just being okay with dying, you know? Where were your parents in this uh like time of your life um my dad had disowned me mm-hmm. at this point um and they knew about the addiction at this point like, yeah, okay. yeah 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 they knew that i was a, a drug addict yeah. and that you know i uh was continuously fucking shit up mm-hmm. and uh making an ass out of myself and um my dad had disowned me and my mom just didn't want me to come around you know she had to love me from a distance and yeah. she started going to al on meetings 
and I don't, you know, if you're familiar with Al-Anon, but... Uh, I'm not. Can you tell us? <laughs> yeah, well, Al-Anon, Al-Anon is, is basically Alcoholics Anonymous, but for oh. families. Oh, it's... Oh, um, okay. it's So it's for families. For okay. Yeah, so it, it's for families, and families go, and they actually get a sponsor, and they actually, like, work steps, and... You know, when you're calling your mom, mom, I need twenty dollars, please. Yeah. You know, uh, like they're, they're coaching the parents. Yeah, they're like, don't give your son twenty dollars. You know what I'm saying? This is yeah. like step one. Accept yeah. your powerless. You know what I mean? Like, wow. they 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 really coach them through it. So that's what I could tell. Like, my mom was going to Al-Anon. She yeah. was like, yeah, no, you're beat. Like, I'm not giving you twenty dollars. <laughs> like, I'm not giving you money. Yeah. You know, I'm not bailing you out of jail. I was going to jail for fighting and a bunch of dumb shit. And uh, she she just you know, had to love me from a distance. That was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know what I mean? To be completely honest with you, the best thing that ever happened to me was, you know, yeah, my dad cut me off long before, but whenever my mom finally was like, mm-hmm. yo, Nick, like you're on your own. It, and I'm, I got to a point where I'm like sleeping under a bridge in yeah. South Florida. Like that put it in perspective for me that like, yeah. it truly took until like I was under that bridge. Yeah. Like, gone through multiple treatment centers for me to realize like hey i'm a drug addict Mm -hmm. and it took like me i was in treatment before and still didn't really accept it you know so what was that like when you were like at these treatment centers were you listening to other people's story and you're like wow that sounds pretty bad but that's not me yeah though you were in that same situation yeah yeah no absolutely i i'd always in denial about it yeah yeah no for sure like i'd always look at the differences like rather than the similarities right like Mm -hmm. If somebody okay. raised their hand, they were talking about, oh, I stuck up an old lady at an ATM for, so I get some crack. Like, I never did that. Right. I'm not like I'm not these just... people. You know what I mean? And, you know, there's also another guy that's just talking about powerlessness and mm-hmm. how, you know, like he wants to do better in his life. But you're not listening to that stuff. Like, you're in denial. Like, you're just listening to how you're not the same as anyone in there, you know? Mm-hmm. When really, like, everyone's the same in that room. You know, everyone's like fighting for one thing, you know, and that's to like be better and like get better in life. And like everybody comes from different walks and different lives and upbringings and different drugs of choice. And even like people that don't do drugs, like at the same time, like everybody's just focused on like trying to stay alive and like be better, you know? Yeah. So what, at what point did you know, like, okay, like I really do want to get clean. I don't want this life for myself anymore. Um, like what happened? Did so say something to you. Did something happen? Well, my initial when I left Southern Illinois and I went down to to South Florida to that that rehab the first time, um, that was because my mom had said something to me. And my best friend that passed away, his mom had had came to me and and asked me to go get clean too because they knew that I I was not doing well. You know, I went I went down to one rehab, still hadn't accepted the fact that I was a drug addict, but I didn't want to see my mom cry anymore. Right. You know, yeah. and. Uh, I had left a rehab center with a girl mm-hmm. that I'd met in a rehab center. Can you pause right there? What are your thoughts on that? Like, Ter- terrible. Okay. And, and the, the ending to this little story will tell you why. Okay. You know, she, uh, you know, we started drinking uh, Kratom, right? Which, Kratom is like, it, it's a plant, but it, it's a, like a synthetic opioid. So it still gives you like kind of the effect of opiates, but not a full effect. And you know, but it's a plan and, you know, justification as far as like, but it, it triggers your opioid receptor. So anyway, like we're going to the smoke shop and we're getting this, drinking this stuff and drinking kava. And um, next thing you know, we're like, you know, we don't even need to be in this treatment center. Like this outpatient center, like we should yeah. go to a couple's halfway house. They have that? <laughs> they have those and it's a disaster. <laughs> it's an absolute disaster. And uh, 
I'm you know, like, oh, wow, you could have a, a reality show in one of these places. And um, so we end up leaving. We end up in a couple's halfway house. And, and next thing you know, like we're back to we're shooting Dilaudids, you know, like we're just jabbing a needle in our arm, taking Dilaudids. Like that first, like, was it like a mutual thing? Cause yeah. Because we were like high and in love. And yeah. Like, it'd be fun. Or was it like, did one have to convince the other? No, it was, it, once it was mentioned, we were both on board. For sure. It was like, that quick. Yes, right. absolutely. It wasn't like listening about the progress we've made. No, no, none okay. of that. All that's out the window. Because there was no program behind us. Okay. You know what I mean? There was no like there was no structure behind us. We were just like focused on us, right? And it, it was all this just like this facade, right? Yeah. And like you have like what they call the treatment goggles on. Right. Where yeah, what is that? like you're in a rehab center and like every girl looks so much hotter and looks right. like they're going to give you like the love that you're 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 lacking because you're in treatment and, and you're beating yourself up and you're vulnerable. And, right. and and someone comes along and they just give you this little sense of like caring and you just like latch on to that because that's really all you want. Right. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we start running around. We get kicked out of the, the couple's halfway house, which is hard to do, really. Um <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, I did it. <laughs> yeah, we managed to do it. Uh, we ended up in a in a motel room, okay. and uh, we got in a big fight. And she had ran out of money. And was it drug related? The fight? I don't even know. I, I don't, honestly, I don't know. It's been like eight years now, but she, uh, we got in an argument about something, and it it really stemmed from the fact that she didn't have money anymore, right? And mind you, we're like knee deep in, in drug addiction, like yeah. jabbing needles in our arm. Yeah. And uh, I ended up just leaving, right? I just checked out. I was like, all right, I'm out of here. Yeah. And I started running around with some other kids on mm -hmm. uh, um, the streets of South Florida and like mm -hmm. Lake Worth and we we're sleeping under this bridge and I got a phone call that she had passed away from uh, an overdose. Oh my God. And yeah, yeah, I got a phone call that um, she had passed away and uh i was down to one pair or two pairs of clothes and one pair of shoes and i still have the shoes sitting up in my closet that i, I look at like every day um but that at that moment it was like i i gotta get back into a program yeah. right like i i need to do this or like i'm gonna die yeah. and like i didn't want to die anymore for people like in recovery yeah. being around in the treatment centers and going to those meetings like yeah. i always saw those guys like they were like clicked up and yeah. they're like we're dressing nice and getting a haircut and like going out and getting in their car to drive home. And like, I'm like, shit, man, like people actually, they can do this stuff, yeah. you know? And, um, I still always had that in the back of my head, you know, when I was getting high, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, may maybe I could do this, yeah. you know? And, um, I tried calling to get back in a, in a rehab center. And my dad had disenrolled me from the health insurance. And you yet, right? so no, no, no. He just straight yeah. up took me off of yeah. it. Um, just straight up took me off the health insurance. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the places that I went before, they were like, yeah, buddy, sorry, we can't help you. Um, Which is another very big problem in the United States. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have health insurance, you're kind of fucked, right? Yeah, well, even, even before that, like okay. if your parents, like if you're, you know, you're not, even if you're not 26, your parents don't have like a great job, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Or like a good job and they don't, you know, you're not on their health insurance. Like there's only limited options for those people and they're not like quality options. You know, they're not like, you're not, you know, we can go to Tarzana treatment center here and it, it's like they, they bring someone in for seven days and, and shoot them out the door. Like there's no, there's not proper options for people without health insurance or without the financial means, which is a big problem in this country. It's a big problem in this world, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, like I, I couldn't get into a treatment center. So, uh, yeah, I, I was just sleeping under this bridge in, in Lake Worth and, uh, ended up getting a scholarship, um, into a program. Like one of the guys that I had been in a treatment center with prior was like doing well and like working for a place and, and got me, uh, got me a scholarship and, uh, you know, like I was tired. And you ever know. since, like, you really, you never, you never relapsed from that never. moment on. It was like, this never looked back, like, never looked back. It was treatment center number four. And, yeah. uh, I, <clears throat> at that moment, like there was definitely, I can look back at some of these times, like in my early recovery where like, I was almost there. Like there was a couple of times where I almost picked up a drink or I like almost went and hung out with these homies. Yeah. And just like one simple move like that can destroy your entire life when it comes to a drug addict right like can can be extremely fatal just picking up one phone call and um i'm just grateful like i look back at those those times i'm just so glad that you know that i didn't um you know make those those moves and like i'm i'm in the position i am today because like i didn't go with those thoughts i'm very proud of you for that that's huge congratulations i know you've accomplished so much since all of that which we'll also get into a little later one thing that like and i was talking about this earlier today is like one thing is like you're not responsible for your thoughts you're not and that's not just for drug addicts that's for just people in general like other people will say different but you're not responsible for your for your thoughts right yeah. you're you're responsible for your actions mm-hmm. and once you can master that right like once you can master like playing the tape on how it's truly gonna go yeah um before mm-hmm. um then that's where like you start to grow, right? Like, and that's one thing that like I never did before is I had to bang my head up against that wall like eight times to just make sure it wasn't gonna be different yeah. each time. Cause I'm like, yeah. it's gonna be different this time. Yeah. I'm just gonna use in moderation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I can just use one time, right? And I did that a lot. And yeah. one time turned into like my entire life being flipped upside down. Yeah. And you learn to pick up the phone, mm-hmm. right? Like. You learn to like call people that understand. You have this thing called a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you get involved in recovery and in yeah. in a mentor, not not necessarily a sponsor. It doesn't always have to be Alcoholics Anonymous. It doesn't yeah. always have to be like a twelve step program, but someone that you can confide in that is willing to be a listening ear for you and like make suggestions on you not fucking up your life. Mm-hmm. You know, like we can't do this alone. You know, like I, I rarely do I see somebody just pop out of a, a detox residential yeah. and just go on their way with no recovery like support no meetings no like you know community at all like rarely do you see that work um so it's definitely the things the tools that you acquire along the way that those thoughts lessen and lessen right the more that that spiritual like gas tank is full the more that you're involved with other people in recovery the more that you know you're around a community and like you're spiritually fulfilling yourself like you don't want to fuck up your life You know, like the devil's definitely like, they say it all the time. Like that disease of addiction is like the whole time you're sober, like it's out there in the parking lot doing pushups. You know what I mean? Like just waiting for that weak moment. And um, that's why it's so important to have that like spiritual aspect and that community on like a regular basis. Cause when you start to veer away from that and think I got this. And that's a big thought that like a lot of us get along the way is like, okay, I got this. Mm -hmm. I don't got this. I, I still don't got this. I'm almost eight years clean. And like, I'll never say like, I got this, you know, like I still need support. I still need mentorship. Like I still need someone to hold me accountable. I'm not God. You know what I mean? I'm not perfect. Like I don't have all the answers to all the problems in my life. Um, so it, it's just something that you acquire along the way. 
um, that when you don't, it's like that first time that you actually didn't do it. Mm-hmm. You actually like didn't go for like whatever was going on upstairs. Right. You're like, wow, I can do this. Yeah. You know, you can. what kind of support would you say is the best way to, to help someone like, like from a friend's point of view or like a girlfriend or even a parent? Like how how can we support you in this situation? You know, what's the appropriate way to go about it? Just listen. Just listen. You know, okay. just listen. And I think that's where like a lot of parents and a lot of family and a lot of friends like mm-hmm. kind of are overbearing mm-hmm. where it's different, you know, yeah. like coming from when, when there's like, it turns into a lecture or it yeah. turns into you should do this. Yeah. Like right. it, it doesn't work that way. Like right. our, our minds as like drug addicts and alcoholics, like we don't retain information from that. Like we don't, yeah. We don't listen to that in a sense, right? It's like sometimes it's just listening and and encouraging like an individual to talk to someone that does understand, right? To talk to somebody or be around a community that like can say like, hey, I truly understand. And, and it makes you feel a little better, you know? Um, if you know someone's struggling, like don't be quiet about it. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of families do that too. They want to like right. keep it on the hush hush. And like, it, it's not something that needs to be hush hush because like you just never know like when something could happen and like if you think something's going on like don't waste no time don't waste no time at all and like bringing it to light and whether you're wrong or right like someone's life's in jeopardy um so how long ago did you open patrick's purpose and what was the purpose behind it cool i uh i opened patrick's purpose um back and i was officially open august 1st of 2022 so I appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been a journey. It's been something super special. You know, I've been in the industry myself for um, about seven and a half years now. And uh, I finally just got to a point to where I was in a position to be able to finally open my own uh, sober living. And uh, I named it after my brother. Um, my brother uh, passed away um, April 28th of 2019 um, from... Yeah, yeah, it is. And he, he passed away from a fentanyl overdose and um, was living with me at the time. He had six months sober and I had no idea that he was struggling. You know, I thought that he was in a really good place and um, I'm pretty good about, you know, knowing if people are struggling. And uh, I just, I had no idea. You like, did, were the signs different or why, why do you think you didn't catch this one? Not, there was no different signs really, you know, like... Um, he didn't show anything that said I'm about to use, you know, um, he struggled for years back up in Southern Illinois while I was down in Florida, um, getting clean. And I begged him to come down, get clean, bro, get clean, get clean. And, uh, he just, you know, thought he could do it on his own up in, uh, Southern Illinois and just kept trying and trying. And finally, you know, someone called me, he said, bro, I see your brother right now. He's walking around the streets of Marion with no shoes on. And, uh, he just, he needed help. And I, I finally got him to uh, come down to South Florida and put him in the treatment center I was working for at the time. And uh, he met a girl and he had got out of treatment and was running around with her getting high. And I, I got, it finally got him away from her. He yeah. was doing the same shit that I was, I, I did. And I finally got him away from her and got him back into a facility 
he was there for like three months, did all levels of care over there, got a sponsor, was going to meetings, was in the gym. And then I finally moved him in with me because I felt like it was time. Um, and he had like four months sober at the time and he was just doing great. He's working, he's going to meetings, he's talking to his sponsor, um, working out, very good, good shape, very healthy. And, uh, you know, I had left to go on a trip. I was speaking at a conference up in Illinois and I left on like a Wednesday. And then on that Friday, me and him, uh, uh, got into a, an argument. Right. And, uh, just on some bro shit, you know, nothing like serious, just like, no, fuck you. No, fuck you. Like, you know, like, yeah, brothers, just brothers arguing over dumb shit, man. And, we were texting back and forth, ah, you know, just texting each other. And I don't know, like the next day, uh, that Saturday, like, I just like felt like something in my something gut. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I, I, te- I didn't like like where me and my brother left off. Right. And, uh, I texted him and I said, I love you, bro. And he said, I love you too. And, uh, thank God. Like that was the last thing that like I was ever able to say to my brother. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, no, thank, not thank God that, you know, he's gone, but it's just like, God forbid, like we left off on that fight, you know? And that's what I try to like explain to people is like, be very, very careful, you know, on, yeah, what you're saying to people and how you're leaving stuff off. Like the, I understand people argue, people get upset with each other, but to, to leave it off on a note like that, like you just never know like what could happen. Like, you never know what could happen, and I swore it would never happen to me, right? I swore it would never happen to my family. And, uh, you know, I came home, you know, that next day and, and you know, went in his room, and it, it was too late, you know? So you found your brother. Yeah, I found him, and then I tried to uh, tried to resuscitate him, and uh, it, it was just too late, you know? He had been gone for too long, and, you know, I've got extremely bad like ptsd from that whole situation and you know i try to you know i don't there there is there's a lot and that's really where like cannabis started to play play a part in my life was after that um and we talk about like different vices and um you know not anyone's one path of recovery is like the same as anyone else's like everybody's an individual right Mm -hmm. like it it, every not one person is the same and um you know this isn't 1939 you know when they wrote the big book of alcoholics anonymous and people were yeah it just it is and there, there's nothing wrong for it working for the people that it works for and it, narcotics anonymous worked for me for a very long time but i can't i couldn't relate to those people that had experienced something like traumatic like that 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 took that route you know and um that's where like i really looked into like what is it that's like really working right and there's this this like perception from the people in in the rooms of alcoholics anonymous Mm -hmm. that any mood changing or mind altering substance is what it says in their in their in their big book um of alcoholics anonymous it says that with respect to any mood changing or mind altering substance right Mm -hmm. and you know that's that's cool you know and that's fine and that that works for some people but if you really get into it it's like you can go into an AA meeting, right? And the guy that's reading that out of the book that swears by it right. is sitting in the same seat that he sat in for the last 15 years in the same AA meeting. 
He drinks eight cups of coffee a day. He smokes two packs of cigarettes, right? And some of these guys might even take a little Klonopin prescribed from their doctor, a little benzo to make sure that they can go to sleep at night. But God forbid that you disclose that you use cannabis in one of those rooms. Yeah. It's just no way. No way. It's just there's a lot of judgment casted and it's just it is outdated. Right. And I think it's great for the old timers and I think it's great for alcoholics. And but fentanyl is a whole different ballgame. People are dying. Like you have kids that just are in school to go to in school to be a doctor that just went to a rave with their friends on a Saturday and did a line of Molly and they're dying from a fentanyl overdose. You know, like this is the the world that we live in. You have a girl that went and got a a Xanax from a drug dealer, a Xanax bar, and she's being Narcan. You know, like that doesn't make sense. Like that's not, that's not 1939, man. Like this is, people are dying like more than like, and and there's very little light shed on it, right? Mm -hmm. That like how many people are are really dying from fentanyl? How many people are dying from fentanyl? Uh, I know that when it comes to what I can say is like, when it comes to abstinence-based treatment, Mm -hmm. there's a 7% success rate, right? So there's seven seven percent AA. I'm talking. There's no sleeping meds. Right. There's no coffee. There's no none of that shit. Abstinence based treatment, right? There's a seven percent success rate. So what about the other? What about the other ninety three percent of people, right? Like, what about those people? We're supposed to just say, hey, because this doesn't work for you, yeah. you're fucked. Right. You're gonna die. The shoe isn't gonna fit everyone. No. Adjust it. That's crazy. And like we, I mean. We're even adapt during a pandemic. How come we can't adapt during a epidemic that's been happening for decades? No, for sense. sure, it, it doesn't. And it, 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 I'm open to all routes of recovery at this point in my life. I'm not saying that you know cannabis is the only way. Like people don't react well to it. I believe that cannabis can be for some people, mm-hmm. for some people, a safe and effective recovery tool. Right? For some people, I know some people that smoke weed that end up talking to Bob Marley in the corner. You know what I'm saying? And like. It just That's doesn't, good yeah, <laughs> it happens, you know, like it yeah. just, it happens with people. Not everybody reacts well to that. Right. You know, there's people that take Suboxone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people that have the, the sublocate shot. There's, you know, which are all, you know, opiates. They, they still trigger your opiate receptors, but they have a naloxone in it to where it's going to block it if you do try to do opiates. So there's like a lot of harm reduction things that are working for people that that's really where I'm a different type of recovery advocate, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm with whatever works for whoever, right? Whether that means cannabis, whether that means suboxone, whether that means mushrooms, psilocybin, whether that means ketamine therapy, um, whether that means you're going to do ayahuasca in Mexico, like yeah. whatever works for you, I respect it, you know? Um, because I've seen so many people die. Like I love seeing people progress in their life and, and be at a point like I don't give a fuck how you got there. As long as you're not hurting yourself or you're not hurting other people and you are happy in your fucking life, who the fuck am I to say anything to you? So what does a day at Patrick's Purpose look like? What what are you handling there? What are you what are your responsibilities and So Patrick's Purpose is a a sober living environment. We can call it a transitional living where typically people come after they've completed their detox residential. So they've been stabilized, they're all they got all the shit out of their system. Um and they are ready to move into the transitional living where they attend outpatient at an outpatient center, um, which, you know, right now they just go to one of the local outpatient centers that, uh, one of my friends has, but I'm 
actually opening my, my own out, outpatient center as we speak, wow. um, which crazy. is, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I, know. Like I the, appreciate it. Wow, the achievements. So yeah. Literally eight years ago, eight years ago, you were under a bridge, like didn't care if you would see another day. And then yeah. now you're opening a sober living home, a re, like you're helping other people that were in that same position. It's pretty amazing. Not a lot of people can sit here and say that. So I think you should have. Give your give yourself a big pat on the back for that. I appreciate it. it. It's I'm I'm grateful. You know what I mean. And I'm humbled too. You know, like I try to, you know, never really forget like where I came from and like how bad it was. And yeah. you know, that's why I'm just really grateful for the sober living. Like people, uh, you know, we've got 12, 12 beds all together. Mm-hmm. Um, all male facility right now. We'll be opening a female house soon. Um, but all male right now. Um, we've got a house manager that kind of just keeps them in line, make sure they take their drug tests, make sure that they breathalyze every single night. Yeah. Um, because, you know, obviously there's no drugs or alcohol allowed. Um, <laughs> one super right. key component of the sober living is the fact that, you know, we don't discriminate against medical marijuana patients. Um, we are okay with them, you know, using that medication and do believe that it's safe and effective for, for the guys that, you know, it works for. Um, so do they buy the cannabis themselves or is it like... Do you guys go through someone like a trusted source or like how does that work? So yeah, they're they're it's left to them to really you know get, you know pay for that medication. Um, a lot of the time though, what we do run into there's a lot of local farms right. um, here. Um, you know we are in Los Angeles, so <laughs> a, a lot of brands do like to donate you know to the guys at the Sober Living. So that's like super cool. Um, that's yeah, it's super cool for the guys. So yeah. <laughs> um, they yeah. definitely love that. Like today we had Easter. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, tell them what you did. Yeah. <laughs> so one of uh, a local one of the local farms here um, had donated some some flowers, some cannabis to uh, to the to the sober living. So you know we did an Easter egg hunt and filled the Easter eggs with uh, the donation from from the farm and. The guys were super excited. <laughs> it was cool. It was pretty, pretty cool Easter egg hunt. And we had to hide them like extra hard because it's like an adult Easter egg hunt. So yeah, so it, it was super cool though, man. It's, it's, we, we also educate on it too. You know, we really tried to um, get them to respect it um, and use it with intent. You know, it's not come over here, get high, not get a job, not be productive. We don't do that. It's not, it's not what we do. Like for example, if someone, you know, is newer to the like recovery side and they're like maybe not as motivated yet or need that extra push. Like how do you push them? They got 30 days. They got 30 days. Yep. They got 30 days to get a job. Like, Hey, when you're in here, like you gotta get a job, you gotta do this, this and that, but you have this, this, you got 30 days. Or like what, what are the rules? Yeah. So like once they, they first come in, they they have curfew curfews, 10, uh, 10 PM during the week and then 12 PM on the weekends. Um, so 10 and 12. And then, um, after, uh, they're 30 days. They got to have a job, you know, and, and that's just it. There's, there's not much more to it. You go to, they go to their outpatient usually like during the day for six hours a day, the first couple weeks, but they're also getting acclimated at the house. I want them finding out what they want to do. You know, they got to start paying rent by their second, uh, their second, their, there's their 30 day mark. So they got to start paying rent and rent requires a job. You know, um, I, no, 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 it's, it's not, but it's like also doable. It's like $300 a week. Um, it's also responsibilities and motive. It's motivating you. It's, it's giving you discipline because like, I mean, even if I'm home all day, like I'm not like, I don't know, like I need to leave, I need to go and like get work done and 
and be around people because like if I'm just you know cooped up inside all day like I don't know I'm just not the best version of myself either so I could totally understand why you'd want them to get out there and, and be their own person and yeah I mean this is life you know what I mean it's it's you're gonna have to do it eventually right like that's that's what it is and it's like recovery isn't just getting sober right that's a hard part of it don't get me wrong the beginning right. it is hard as fuck to yeah. get sober right yeah. but it doesn't stop there it doesn't there's so much more they told me when i came in right they were like nick there's only one thing you got to change mm -hmm. and that's everything you know what i mean that's the music you listen to that's the clothes that you're wearing that's the the people you hang out with the shit you talk about um all of that stuff had to change and you know like if you don't progress you'll just be dry right and the longer that you're dry the more you're moving closer to using again right it's just that's that's how it goes like you do the same shit, you get the same results, right? right? right. Something has to change. Yeah. Like something has to be different. And some people move a little slower than other people, right? Yeah. People recover at different paces. Like people get jobs at different points. Um, but what do you do if someone, like if someone in the house, let's say gets a job in the first week and someone's up 30 days and they're, they're trying, but it hasn't happened yet. Like how would you go about that situation? How it's would you a, encourage them? Or it's a case by case scenario, right? Yeah. If it's, I see them trying. Yeah. I, I physically see them trying. Maybe their resume needs to be fixed a little bit. Yeah. I, I see them out there, like right. out of the house right. trying. Right. By all means, like I'm willing to work with you. Mm -hmm. But if you're sitting on the couch yeah. or you're sitting in your room or you're playing yeah. video games and you're bitching and moaning about how bad your life fucking sucks, yes. but you're not doing yeah. shit about it. I'm not with that. Mm -hmm. I'm not with that. And it's not, okay, you're kicked out. No, it's, hey, brother, you can either progress here and do what's asked of you here and be productive and motivated and, and move forward. Or there's other places, right? There's other places that will just let you sit on your ass yeah. and do absolutely nothing, go to your groups and, and, and not do shit. And then whenever they're done banging out your insurance, they'll just mm -hmm. kick you the fuck out, mm -hmm. right? So there's places like that that don't give a fuck that you can go there, right. you know? But I'm just not one of those places and that's just not our vibe. Like I wanna see people get better. Yeah. Um, I'm not about excuses. Um, I'm very like, straightforward i'm very assertive and that's because this shit is life and death yes. you know it's yeah. not it's not a it's not a game you know it's not it's not something to be like fucked around with it's not a hey come here and let's let's just party and hang out like that's yeah. not what it is like yeah. this is like saving your fucking life exactly and i i see that you like online i saw that you had a concert you have barbecues you had a barbecue for easter today so it's nice that you're creating this like community community type feel or family type feel for the people out here because not everyone has family out here, right? So it's yeah. like really they just have people around them up in the house, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And same with you. Your family isn't here either. Yeah. So are these is this like your you know, you're, you made this family. Yeah, no, we are a family. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? At, at, at Patrick's Purpose, like we are, we're all a big fucking family. Like none of us have our family members here. We're all from out of town. 95% yeah. um, of the people at the house flew here from a different state to, you know, get sober. Yeah. Um, everybody's emotions are all in a fucking bunch. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, it's just part of it. Yeah. But, um, you know, like everybody, uh, you know, expresses themselves like at the house like differently that they would like any other sober living right yeah. it, it we just have that vibe where we throw parties you know what i mean we have barbecues yeah. we put weed in the easter eggs and you find them you know yeah. what i'm saying like we do shit differently right. and we just threw a party you know what i mean two weeks ago and like threw a sober party and like almost 80 people showed up i, wow. I put it we we i don't want to say i we put it together in a yes. week yeah. in seven days we put this together and it was like 
a bunch of people just came and nobody's drinking alcohol. They're all fucking drinking Sprites and sugar-free Red Bulls, you know? Yeah. And it it was just super cool, man. We had people perform and I want Mm -hmm. people to like, that's what separates us from other places Mm -hmm. is that we want to show people like you can have fun. You can be creative. Like you can vibe with other people. Like it's not this fucking like like, prison and like, you know what I mean? Like you can't go nowhere. Like, nah, bro. Like, I'm weird. I'm yeah. weird too. You know what I'm saying? Like seriously, like I'm weird too, and I'm sober as fuck out in a in a. You know what I mean? Like in uh, my mom's calling me. Just tell her two seconds. Sorry. Hey mom. Hey, are you okay? Okay, I'm doing a podcast right now. But I, no, don't say. Tell me. At least tell me you love me first. Jeez. <laughs> I it, it's all good. I I was just calling you earlier to say hi and happy Easter. I love you too. Okay. Bye. Thank you. And Sorry. that's the moment. And that's why you do it. To have, yeah. Like have that call with your mom. Like that's why you changed your whole life around, you know? Like, yeah. It's just so nice to be able to see those too. Yeah, no. Have- my mom's my best friend today, yeah. you know? Like yeah. she, uh, she lost her son, you know? Like we, we lost my brother and, uh, you know, I can, I, I can only speak of it from a, a, a brother's perspective, right? Right. But like losing a child is totally being a mother and losing your child like tragically like that mm-hmm. is just like I I can't even imagine like that pain right yeah. like it's just she's coming out here we we always every year we're together you know on the 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 day that my brother passed away so she's coming out here in a in a couple weeks. Are you guys um, gonna do something special or nice? Like, I don't know. She doesn't really. She's not. She, she doesn't really want to do much. Whenever she comes out, she just wants to be with me. You know. This is a weird. I feel like that's also not really talked about much. Is yeah. Like how to handle grief and like like do you talk about it? Do you like bring up the anniversary? Do you not? Do you just celebrate the birthday? You know. Yeah. Like, no one really talks about that kind of stuff. Yeah, man. we do once a year, right? Like yeah. we don't. Obviously, it's a painful subject, right? Yeah. And. The worst um, thing that could ever happen. That's yeah. Like you're just reminded constantly. It's like, how do you go about that? Yeah, no, it, it, it is a painful subject. But, you know, whenever each year when we do get together and we, we, we sit down and it's that day, you know, like we really like talk about all the good times. Yeah. You know what I mean? And talk about all the, the dumb shit that's funny right. now, you know, and like mm-hmm. it it's cool. But it's because he's so much more than what he left this earth. He's not like. I, I hate, like, the same thing with my cousin. Like, I'm like, I know he passed away an addict because he died of an overdose. But that's not who he was. He was so much more than an addict. Yeah. He was funny. People wanted to be his friend. Like, girls loved him. He was yeah. attractive. Yeah, he was, yeah. like, so loving. Like, yeah. there's so many different qualities. And that's, like, something that I feel like we need to hold on to and not, like, how they passed. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I agree. And I, I that's what really what I try to do with my brother is, like, keeping his name alive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you... Which you are, Patrick's Purpose. It's cool whenever just people calling my phone, like, saying Patrick's Purpose. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or, like, yeah. like just people saying those words, like, Patrick's Purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Referring to the house or just saying Patrick's. And yeah. It, it's just... Saying his name. Like, yeah, no, it, it just feels good. You know what I mean? And, like, once this treatment center is open and we have multiple houses, it's just, like, that's Patrick's house. You know what I mean? Like, it's... uh. And I do, every time I speak, I talk about him, you know, and I do share some of his story and like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to keep it alive in a sense and, and, you know, inspire people that you can get this done, right? Like you can, you can do this and, um, you don't have to be a fucking name, right? Yeah. You know, like at the end of the day, like people can have friends, right? Like you can have friends and like when you die, dude, like what's left 
you know like i'm just being honest like i'm just being real with you like when you die like like what is there people are gonna cry and be upset like Mm -hmm. a lot of people are gonna cry and be upset for a a little bit Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but as like years go on like there's only a few people that really mourn you know what i mean and and really like hold that in their fucking gut the rest Mm -hmm. of their life so it's like really pay attention to like who you surround yourself with you know what i mean like it's just it's crazy i've seen it too many times with my friends before where like Mm -hmm. it's like oh someone dies and then like okay like two years later like then what you know it's sad it's It's fucking sad and fucked up and like it's like praise your friends while they're here you know what i'm saying like praise the people that you love and the people that you care about like while they're here Mm -hmm. like don't wait until they're fucking dead and you want to make a fucking instagram story post and fuck oh i'm so sad like where the fuck were you when they were here Mm -hmm. right like where were you involved when they were battling that fucking drug addiction right right? like fuck all that yeah i'm sorry no i'm like yeah like we hit a nerve i know fucking motherfuckers what what does the ideal rehab or sober or treatment center look like in your eyes like if you could just if there were like no rules on like what the perfect place would be like to get help and and recover like what would that look like the perfect place Mm -hmm. to get help i think that there's no perfect place for everyone right i think everybody's different i think there's different vibes for everybody i think there's different modalities i think there's different types of treatment but for me right and for for what i envision and what i'm creating as we speak is something that is more fun right Mm -hmm. and more enlightening and and not so much white walls with a doctor and a therapist that just asks you about your feelings all the time you know um it's really like a place that actually truly gives a fuck. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you're just a number because I want to say 85 to 90% of these places, you're just a fucking number. Um, and it's ran by people that aren't in recovery. Um, and it's more of just make sure you go to your groups, right? Right. You want a place that's going to involve the family. You're the one you're, you want a place that is going to truly push you to get a job and hold you accountable and, you know, like show you how to live because a lot of people come in and they don't even know how to do fucking laundry. You know what I mean? A lot of people come in, they don't know how to make their fucking bed. Right. And these are things that like we teach them and that we give a fuck about. And, um, you know, I'm the type that like, if you don't make your bed multiple times, we're going to take your sheets. Okay. And then you're going to have to go get your sheets to make your bed again. Right. If you want to leave, you know, food and dishes in the sink, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And these, these are things that need to be taught. You know, it's not always about like, all right, just don't pick up the drugs. No, like, no, like it's, you can tell a lot about someone's life by walking in the room in the morning. How did they leave, leave out? Right. If their shit is all misconjumbled and all over the fucking place, like it's probably a good vision of like what their life's like, Right. you know? And that's something I was taught about simply just making my bed every morning. Mm -hmm. You know, and cleaning up my house. Yeah, yeah. Cause like you ever like got home from like a long ass day and like your room's just a wreck. Oh my god. Oh, you can't breathe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I did this, right? Like I worked hard for this. Like Exactly. Like I worked hard for this. Like I did this. You know what I mean? It's just like simple little things like that make a big impact on your recovery. You know? Um rules and and accountability and like um those are all things that a facility really needs to have man and not to mention like 
a comfortable place to lay your head at night, right? Is it a fucking, like, the treatment center looks great, but the sober living shit? You know what I mean? A lot of people do that. Look at our treatment center. But this is where they sleep at night. (laughs) You know? They leave that part out. Um, But, yeah, like, it's a case-by-case scenario, right? There's people that are primary mental health, right? That drugs don't really play a part. Um, Primary mental health people need a, a facility that's primary mental health. You know, like, it's not necessarily, like, mixing a mental health person with a fentanyl addict. Like, it's kind of, like, people try to do that. Dual diagnosis is shit. Mm -hmm. You're either substance abuse or your mental health. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's two different things there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, realistically, like, if you're really trying to find the right place, you just call me. (laughs) For people listening, if they're struggling or know someone's struggling... Where could they reach out like, to you? It, it, it's it's my specialty, right? Like I again, like I love getting those calls. I don't love the fact that a family's going through something difficult, right. but I I love getting those calls and and being able to give people solution, right? Um, whether they have health insurance or not, mm-hmm. I'm always gonna give some sort of a solution. So anybody can contact me on social media. I'm very active on social media. My my Instagram is uh, Nick Morgan Recovery. Um, you know, I'm super uh, active on, I, I should be more active on TikTok, Nick Morgan 19. Um, and then I, I'm also very comfortable giving everybody my phone number. Um, my phone number is 618-751-1763. Um, and, are like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that works too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm available, you know, like I'm a 24 seven guy. If I don't answer the phone, it's probably because I got another phone call going on. But um, um, I'm very active. This is my passion. This is what I love to do. Um, and I just want more people to know that like there is hope and that you can get clean and that it's not a boring fucking process, man. Like there's it's a beautiful process and like people achieve things like the, the gentleman that's here with us right now, man, like he came into the sober living and I was like, ah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if this guy's going to make it. But like he made the proper changes, man. Like now he's he went and got his driver's license. He's working his job fucking 18 hour days at his job sometimes and going to work at 6 a.m. in the morning and, yeah. and providing for himself and not asking me for cigarettes or vapes anymore. You know, like if you have the right support. It's crazy what you can achieve and accomplish. Honestly. Yeah. It just takes one person to believe in you. And, and that's all it really takes. And yeah. you are that person for so many people, which I think is a beautiful thing. And I mean, People should be really lucky to have that. I'm I'm no different than anyone else, you know. Like I'm no better than than any other drug addict that's in the streets struggling right now. I just happened to get clean before them. That's it. Literally, that's it. Like I've been there. You know what I mean? Like I do not act any better or any worse than anybody. You know what I mean? Like I I I praise the person that you know made the decision, and they're all banged up, like to to get clean. The most courageous shit I ever did in my entire life was ask for help. You know what I mean? And yeah. people looked at look at that like a weakness, like, oh, he's gotta go to rehab or away, right? Yeah, like we're yeah. men. We're yeah. men, right? Like no, we're not I mean, supposed to ask for help. Like, yeah. We don't want to ask for help because we're already getting stereotypes like of course. Free like, yeah, it's the judgment, man. Exactly. It's the judgment that comes with it. And like right. people it, it's okay. Like I am so glad, mm-hmm. right, that I took that that step in my life and like admitted like, yo, I don't know shit. Yeah. Like I do not know how to get clean. Like but that's hard for someone like me to do. I'm no, not going to say you're bullshit. Like, no. I, 
it's it's hard for men to be like i'm wrong or i need help you know what i'm saying like or we can't we're not supposed to cry we're not supposed to be vulnerable like fuck all that man like that's some real man shit normalize therapy normalize talking about your feelings Normalize crying. Facts. No, it's like, right? honestly, like saying that you need help and you want to get clean. That's like the hottest shit ever. That's some big dick shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It really is. Like that's, that's some, that's some like true man shit. Yeah. So I, I respect it and I encourage everybody to, to reach out and, and not be silent about it, man, because it's okay. Yeah. It's all right. And at this point, <laughs> so many people are on fucking fentanyl and I'm talking like, this is not discriminate. We're talking doctors, lawyers, cops, fucking yeah. athletes, actors, Hella people just dying. Yeah. Um, I actually wore your shirt today. The yeah. Fentanyl shirt. Um, can you give us a little bit of backstory why you made this and where people could purchase a shirt to support? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have obviously like based off, you know, some of the things that I've shared, like I've lost a lot of people to fentanyl specifically. And I tend to say fuck fentanyl a lot. Um, and, uh, I just wanted people to be able to walk around with a fucking statement on their shirt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, fuck fentanyl. Not only does it have a statement, but, you know, it's a dope-ass t-shirt. Like, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's printed well. Like, yeah. So if anybody wants to fuck fentanyl t-shirts, yeah. they can also get those on the, uh, on my Instagram. There's a link in the bio there. Um, and uh, you can get one of those, too. Like, those, those are super trendy right now. I know. They're cool. <laughs> I was like, I gotta wear it to podcast. Yeah, no, I I, I almost wore mine and I, right? I fucking totally forgot. <laughs> I know, I thought we were gonna be matching. I, I like, almost did, I swear. Cute, I late. looked at it, I looked at it too in my closet and I was like, nah, this one's like been You're worn like, too many times. Not like this one. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. I, I love them, man. It's, I actually just put another order in so it'll oh, be a, a bunch more. Well, so. when this episode drops and people can get their, their next sh shipment in. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me story and being such an inspiration and helping others and and really shining light to addiction because like i said it's not really talked about much and people don't especially who don't go through the process don't understand how hard it is and what comes with it and it's more than just like oh i just want to do drugs you know or i did drugs because it was fun like there's so much more to it and i hope like this episode could help and you know shine light on that and give insight so yeah there's a lot of people that like truly just don't know what to do yeah. you know what i mean there's a lot of people that like truly just don't know yeah. and they need to be educated and and their perception is just fucked up because they've never talked to someone like right. me right they right. never have it like they don't have a nick morgan to talk no to like break it down for people like you know what i mean more, people just need to be educated more and it's okay to say like you don't know and you don't understand don't yeah. ever act like you do if you yeah. fucking don't you know yeah so well thank you again so much and i will see you guys next week make sure to get a shirt Thank you.